Welcome to the Philocrosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. The Philocrosophy Podcast is brought to you by Oxia Time, a cool watch company focused on university-branded watches. John Canaris is the founder of Oxia Time, and he was the goalie at Penn in the late 80s who led his team to the Final Four. John is actually best known for being the goalie that Gary Gate dunked on in the Air Gate. Oxia Time makes beautiful, Swiss-made, authentic watches whose design and quality match the essence of the universities they represent. I can attest to the quality of these watches. John hooked me up with a sweet Brown University Oxia watch, and I think it's the nicest thing I own. Initially licensed with eight Ivy League schools, Oxia keeps adding new schools each month. One of the coolest things Oxia offers is custom timepieces to commemorate championships or to celebrate storied teams. Check out the UVA Lacrosse Championship watch. It's sick. Princeton did a really nice one last year as well. Oxia even did an LSU football championship watch this year. For any teams interested in creating a custom watch this season, Oxia will upgrade it at no extra cost to a championship watch if your team wins a conference or national championship next year. For players, parents, and coaches interested in custom team watches, check them out at oxiatime.com. That's A-X-I-A time.com. How's it going, everybody? Really excited to welcome Notre Dame head coach Kevin Corrigan on the Philacrosophy podcast. Kevin, so awesome to have you on and talk lacrosse with you, man. How you doing? I'm doing great, Jamie. Thanks. I, I hope we can keep this spontaneous since we just spoke for 45 minutes earlier today. We got to, you know, we <laughs> I know we got to work at it. We should have recorded that conversation. Uh, it was a lot of good stuff. It's kind of funny, actually, in, in, in starting a podcast, I started thinking about like all the amazing conversations and the sport that I've had over the years with so many people. And if we could have recorded those conversations, it would have been gold. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Well, you, you're still doing a great job. You get some great stuff on this and, and I hope we can I hope we can hold up to the standard here. Yeah, I think we will. All right. You know what? I always love hearing about from you is what have you been doing lately to learn, to get better, to sharpen your saw, whether that's meeting with people, articles, books, podcasts, anything. Yeah. You know, one of the things uh, we, we, we tried to use this fall and every Friday, we, we, we called it Friday after five because we left it at, at four o'clock on Fridays. So our Friday after five was to bring in somebody uh, to speak to our team uh, each week. And, you know, with the, with the people that you have coming to visit Notre Dame on a football Saturday, you can get some neat people. Um, and then just, just, just people who are around the university anyway. And, and this year we tried to build it a little bit around the idea of, of uh, the NIL and, you know, the name image likeness opportunities for our guys, trying to educate them without advising them because we really did, I didn't feel like I knew enough to, to advise them or, or, you know, but we use some of the people around our school that have been studying this, you know, intensely from the summer. Uh, we had some, we, we had a couple entrepreneurs come in uh, just, just because I think in the NIL space, listen, the, the low hanging fruit of 
uh, somebody wants to sign you to 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 wear this or or, or carry that. Um, that's not for lacrosse players, right? But if you, if someone with a with a good entrepreneurial spirit can can really find opportunities and and enhance those opportunities by using their name, image, likeness as an athlete at Notre Dame and all that. So that's the approach we kind of took on it is let's try to get the mindset of our guys in the right place so that they can can do this. Any low hanging fruit that comes their way, good good for them. But it's not anybody anybody that's saying, lacrosse player thinks he's going to sit around and wait for somebody to sign him to a deal. Um, is, is missing the boat on, on what the real opportunities of that are. And not just the opportunities to make money, but the opportunities to use this as one more educational opportunity, right? I mean, this is a, this is a great opportunity for you to, to start a business while you're in, in college or to, or to, or to you know, think of, of, of something, you know, some, some service that you can provide um, and, and, and really start to, to put yourself in the mindset of what you're going to need to be when you're not just learning. Um, but practically learning. So anyway, we did a lot with that. Um, and, and, in, you know, so I'm, that, that's been kind of a, a little bit of a focus. Um, and then we had a guy come as, as part of our Friday after five, we had a guy come from, from the all blacks. Uh, and, wow. and uh, he was in town for the weekend. Um, he spoke with our guys. And, and so, you know, we reread the book legacy, um, reading it with my captains, you know, just having, having them read it to, 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 capture some of the great ideas that are in that book. Um, so yeah, you know, that, that's kind of just trying to stay active and, and, uh, and, and doing that. Yeah. What, what are some of the takeaways from the all blacks and from, from your speaker and from the book? I mean, you know, that, that book is so the great thing about that book is that it's, it's, it's nothing really counterintuitive. It's, it's, it's fairly simple in the, in the construct of, um, you know, how, how do you create a team? You know, I mean, we have one of the great, one, they got, they got all these simple things that they talk about, you know, sweep the sheds, which is basically, you know, their, 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 their thought is anything you walk past, you accept, right? So if, if you walk past stuff in your locker room and without picking it up or cleaning it up, then you accept that it's not anybody's responsibility to do that. And you, you know, I mean, you lose the ability to, 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 to hold that as a standard or hold that. And, and that can be something as simple as picking up your socks or your towels after, after uh, you know, you shower and cleaning up the locker room so that it looks good on the way out. If everybody just does their own job there, it, it's not a big deal. It's, it's no major effort by anybody. And, and you know, so, so just that idea of personal accountability. Um, and, and, and then, you know, I mean, to another one of their mantras is no dickheads. You know, like there's just there's no acceptance of not being a good person. Being a good person is, is not tied to being a good player, except that it, it's tied to everything. It's you can't separate it from being a good player. You know, I mean, and 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 if you want to have a good team, then then being a good person is important. It, it may not be important to your personal uh, performance in a sense, but it is to the team's performance. And therefore, it's unacceptable. Um, so just, again, like I say, I like, I like things like that. Cause you don't have to, it's not, it's not something that's not easily achievable and, and readily achievable. It's, it's just stuff that you have to have the right mindset and, 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 um, and approach to. Yeah. Awesome. Um, all right. Switching gears. 
I spent a fair amount of time watching PLL lacrosse. And now that NLL is back, just watching the skill level of these guys. I'm curious if you had any chance to watch some pro lacrosse and get your take on, on the level, things that you took away, things that you've learned, things, things that you, that you might have tried to apply to with the Notre Dame program. You know, I, I did watch a little bit more of the pro lacrosse this summer than I had in the past couple of years. And, you know, more than anything, it, it is it is the skill level. Holy smoke. You know, right. I mean, everybody in that game is is so skilled. Um, and uh, but it's also the 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 speed at which they play. And and I know some of that is related to the idea of, uh, you know, if you don't practice, it's hard to slow people down. <laughs> it's, it's hard. It's hard to control tempo and do some of those things. You know what I mean? And when you're when you're not practicing all the time and 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 so there's just all about just creating the next opportunity all the time right um but again given the skill level of the guys and and given the nature of the game and the nature of 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 the 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 teams and the way they play it's fantastic right i mean it's just it's just creating and you know they even shorten the field up a little bit to to take away that middle of the field and again that's a that's that's as much related to the fact that they they have to keep their rosters low I mean, keeping your rosters low means you don't have a ton of depth. A ton of depth means you can't run run guys to death riding and clearing as much as, you know, trying to get guys in the right positions to create plays, um, you know, and, and score goals. Um, so, yeah, there's there's a lot of factors that go into it, but what it what it comes out of it is the, the way just how many little plays those guys make and, and how many little scenarios they – they create in that, in that quick transition game. And, and that's something we want to be better at. That's, that's the, I guess the, the, why I took to that is a relative to the way we want to play is we've got really good D middies. We've got really good two-way guys, both offense to defense and defense to offense. And we want to take better advantage of that. And, and so I really, you know, really watching that to see what's the best way to do that. We're even making some personnel decisions that'll, that'll reflect that, I think. Yeah. Awesome. And you think about that skill level, you know, that includes defensemen and goalies, you know, I mean, like Blaze Reardon is just an absolutely incredible lacrosse player, not just a great goalie. And these defensemen have just magical skills. And I think that there are so many high school kids, you know, that, that just try to focus on just jumping in the net and having people shoot on them and, 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 and just sort of playing defense all the time when, when really the, the thing about these players is their skill level, their ability to play the game is so high. It's, it's pretty insane. It is, it is. And, and, and listen, I, as a coach, you know, you have to make those decisions. There's a risk reward, you know, with, with all of that stuff. And, and you have to decide what you're comfortable with and what you're not and what fits your, your personnel and, 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 and not, not just your personnel, but your personnel against the, the competition that you're going to play. Right. And, you know, is it, is a sustainable, uh, model for success or not, but um, and and that changes some a little bit versus the the more entertaining brand of what the pros are yeah, doing. No doubt, and, and I was sort of talking about it from a player development perspective, you know, yeah. for kids. Because like, well, I did a podcast with Brody Merrill last week. He didn't pick up a pole until he was 16. Right. He was a great lacrosse player. The first time I saw him actually was. I, I, you know, when I was a head coach at Denver, I went up to, uh, my wife was, was from Buffalo. I was at her parents' house and I decided to go up to um, St. Catharines and watch Orangeville at St. Catharines in the summer of 
2000 and there's Brody Merrill playing top center of the power play in a, in an OLA playoff game. And I was like, who is that guy? I mean, I had that guy circle. They're like, Oh, he's a, he's a pole going to Georgetown. And I was pretty blown away by that, but, but it just goes to show you this level of skill, you know, is what enhances these guys ability to be great. It's, it's, it's what made them great. And I think that's, you know, it allows you to do a lot more things as a coach too. You know, you're, you're right about that. We probably don't do enough of that just overall skill development, but not even, I mean, not, not, not like grinding through these drills that are, you know, that are, uh, you know, that we may design for our defensemen or for our midfielders or whatever, but, but, but just playing, but right. playing in, in less structured environments playing. And I know this is something you love, you know, and, 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 but, but, you know, I, I like, you know, what we did a lot of, uh, they, like, we didn't want to get into the individual workouts. Our, our focus after fall ball ended was really on, on strength and, and conditioning development. Right. And, and to me, it's really hard to do that and do a lot else without just kind of grinding your guys down, you know? And so what we did do outside of that was a few competitive things, like, you know, some flag football or that kind of thing, but also some, some, some sixes. Mm-hmm. that's just playing and it's everybody with a short stick and it's everybody playing every position. And it's just, it's just playing. And I, you know, at the end of the day, when, when we do that, I think we make our guys better lacrosse players. Yeah, no doubt. And, and, and that is the, that is the, the, the fundamental, you know, fundamentals to be a great lacrosse player and to be able to make decisions as they come. Um, so um, did Ryder hop in and play? He did. Of course. Yeah. I want, to see some, I want to see some highlights on that. <laughs> I, lo- I love watching that kid do anything when he plays across. <laughs> he's, um, he's got a way. <laughs> he does have a way. I'll tell you what, uh, Jamie, he's a terrific coach. He's, he's a good young coach. Uh, you know, you, you know him. You know how into it he is and, yep. and, and, and how much he, you know, watches the game and studies the game and, and loves the game. Uh, so oh, but he can articulate it. Surprise. But a lot of guys like him who are who are kind of, you know, creative, you know, free flowing kind of guys are maybe don't translate into coaching as well as, as he has. He's he's very good. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I did. A, I did a um, webinar with him a couple of years ago and I was really blown away by how well he articulated all the things that he was doing. You know, he remembered the play exactly and he remembered why he did what he did and what they were doing and all of it. Um, it, it, yeah. it uh, he, he, you can tell he's a coach. He's, he, he, he is going to be a great coach. Hey, a minute ago, you sort of mentioned um, when we talk about pro lacrosse, the full field game. And that's always been something that Notre Dame you've taken pride in. Notre Dame has been great at. And I just wanted to, and I know we've talked about this before too. Um, but as we sort of talk about the full field game, you know, how do you, how do you even articulate what that means in the, in, in the context of, a, of, a, of putting together a team. So you got all these coaches that are on here listening and they're trying to figure out how to like have their teams be great full field teams. Um, how would you even describe the way you sort of go look at that from 50,000 feet and then maybe dive down into some a little bit more specifics for coaches that they can try to install that concept into their, into their play. You know, it's, it's one of those things that I guess, at the end of the day, what you, how you do things says as much as what you're doing, right? And, 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 and even the order in which you do things, right? So, 
if you want to be a, a great full field team, you can't hold off full field play until the fourth week of practice or the third week of practice. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Hey, we're going to, we're going to do this and then we're going to do that. We're going to put all these pieces together and then we're going to get the full field. And, and, and because your team's going to have a different orientation, if you want to be a full field team, you have to start playing full field right away. And, and you have to live with the mistakes and then, and then try to, you know, try to bring it back to, to what you want. So I think that's part of it is, is how do you start? You know, um, if, 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 if you want to be a full field team, um, again, to me, it's always about defining the things that you want guys to do without restricting everything else, but, but, but kind of getting them to understand the nature of the decisions that you're asking them to make. And then for us, we, we always try to separate it into sometime things and all the time things, right? The all the time things are the things that you just simply have to do. And, and, and there's not a time where, you're, where that's not an important thing to do. The sometimes things are, are the decision-making part of it, the creative part of it. Um, and, and you can't, while you can correct a mistake made in a, in a, in a sometimes thing, and, and you do, you know, you, you point out what went wrong or what, what, where the decision was wrong or where the execution was wrong or whatever, you don't do it with the same vehemence that you do an all the time thing, mm -hmm. you know, because, because you don't want to, to beat them down. Well, you know, you don't want them to walk away going, well, I'll never try that again. You know, it's like, no, no, try it again. Just, just understand the decision a little bit better, right? Or understand where you were and why the decision was a little different than you thought it was. And, you know, like tweak it, get, but, but don't, don't put it away, you know, because that, that, over time, that just gets your team to play kind of robotically, right? They, you, and, and you don't, you can't be a full field team. Now, you know, the hard thing for us has always been marrying the way we play defense with the way that we would love to play offense. Right. And, and, and because, because we don't want that same creativity at the defensive end, frankly, we're not, we're not looking for that, for that creativity at the defensive end. Uh, and yet we, as soon as the ball gets turned over or put on the ground, then we want to, then we want to kind of switch mindsets and, and do that, you know, and, and that, that has, you know, I would just say that's a, that's a bit of a challenge sometimes. So when you think about full field play, we're talking about rides, clears, transition offense, transition defense. Do you throw faceoffs in the mix on full field as well? Of course. Yep. Yep. So there's a lot of, you know, for college teams, pretty easy. You know, you got 40 something guys, you can go out there and, 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 and play full field. When you're a high school team and you got 25 players or 30 players, um, how do you put an emphasis on full field? play to be a great full field team when you can't actually always go full field. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you probably have to design drills where you can start halfway through the process, you know um, you know, start with uh, a ground ball that the defense has an advantage to go get and then, and then, you know, go from there, you know what I mean? Or that kind of thing. And, and, and then play from there or start from some kind of a transition drill where, where you can't just go like in our, we, what we try to do is design as many of our drills as we can to be continuous, right? They just, they yeah. just keep going back and forth, up and down. Right. Cause we have 50 guys who can do them. And, and, and then you're, you know, you're able to capture your rest and, and do the, the, the drill full speed and, and, uh, and you don't have to save yourself for anything. If you do that with a, 
with a roster of 25, you're going to, you're going to kill guys, right. Or, or you're just not going to last very long doing it. So you have to manufacture some of that and, and, and create the scenarios in, in as many different ways as you can to practice it. Yeah. And I think playing things out, you know, playing things out is one of the best ways to make it a, a full field concept, you know, don't blow the whistle every single time there's a turnover, you know, or there's a save when you're doing six on six, you know, clear. I agree with you. I've, I've probably been guilty of that because I want to correct the thing that happened yeah. instead of letting it go, you know, and trusting that everybody will remember enough yeah. to go back and get that later. Or using film later yeah. to be able yeah. to show it. But I mean, you know, just it's hard. You can't clear to the midline in six on six if you've got, you know, 23 guys, 25 guys, you can't do it every time you can do it, but then your emphasis is going to be a little bit more on riding and clearing or the transition into it. You can, you can roll transition in there, but you can only get up and down that field so many times before you're done. So sometimes maybe you just have to do clear to the restraining line, but at least you're going to work on gaining possession of the ball, spacing, making yeah. a play spacing on your clear, you know, being able to be able to get that ride going. Um, yes. But like you I say, sorry, it's a lot more peace hole. Yeah. Pardon? Becomes a lot more peace hole. You know, yes. you have to, you have to, you have to build the pieces out. Yeah. With more intention. But I feel like peace hole part hole is, is great. But I also feel like sometimes we overdo part hole. We meaning me, we meaning a lot of coaches that like, we've just decided that we're going to break everything down I and we're just going to build it back up. And it's almost like doing one legged pedaling drills to like get better at riding a bike. You know I mean? It's like, it's just, it's a little bit overkill. Now, is there a place for it? I do believe there is. And with a, we don't have the numbers, you know, you're going to have to do a little bit of part hole cause you can't go full field. But, but what are your thoughts on, you know, actually just going out and like learning how to do the whole, you know, and being able to do those parts in the context of the whole, because oftentimes it's the context. It's the most important part anyways. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's it. That's the, the hard part because, you know, when you're, when you do part whole, you're really, you're, you're concentrating on the, the um, fundamentals and the execution. When you do, when you're doing things full field, when you're doing things live, you're, you're concentrating on the recognition to then do the execution. You know what I mean? And, 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 and so they need to understand what the execution looks like. They need to understand what the, what the fundamentals of that are and, and, and how, to, how to do those, how to execute those fundamentals, how to, how to get themselves in position to do that and everything else. But after they, they have that part down, the real key is, is recognizing that situation. Like you can do three on twos all day long. You can get great at three on two, but if you don't recognize when a three on two develops in the course of play, then you're limiting you know, your, your real ability to execute the three on two. And, and so, you know, a three on two can happen in, in, you know, at, at both ends of the field, it can happen in the clearing game. It can happen in the, in the, in the, you know, ground ball game. It can happen in the offensive end. It can happen in man up. It can have, you know, I mean, there's so many, many, many ways of, of three on two developing, but if you don't recognize it as it occurs, then, then your execution of it is going to suffer. And, and, you know, that's what, when you do too much part whole, you miss out on that. You miss out on, yeah. on seeing things, on, on anticipating it developing, on, on seeing it develop, on recognizing when it develops. And, and that's a critical part of, especially if you want to play fast and you want to, you want to create these situations, they're, they're going to come up 
repeatedly and, and, and in a million different iterations. So you mentioned earlier um, about, you know, being able to have a lot of two-way guys and play this fulfilled game and be able to, you know, transition back on defense and push up on offense. And, um, what is your philosophy behind wanting to be a two-way team? Um, as much as, you know, you, it sounds like you want to be able to play two-way guys. What are the advantages of playing two ways? Well, so many people don't. Uh, you know, I, I think, you know, I think we, we've seen riding come back in the game a little bit the last couple of years. The, the shot clock is bringing in riding for a couple different reasons, right? One is, one is you know, uh, to, to, to try to ride and get the ball back. One is to try to burn clock. If you can force a team to, to use, you know, 20 of their, of their 80 seconds getting the ball over midfield and doing it with their defensive guys, then by the time they get their personnel on the field and get to their offense, you can have them down to 45, 50 seconds, you know, and, and, and now you're going to have an easier time being a good defensive team. Right. So we, we've seen that, that development. Um, and, and, and I've always liked that, that part of the, the game riding. And, and I, I think it creates a mindset in your team when you ride well, uh, when you ride hard. Um, and then I guess I just, you know, there's just, it's when you do face a settled defense, it's so hard to generate everything you want to generate um, that, uh, you know, I think you put a lot of pressure on a team when you can, when you can create some, some goals, some opportunities out of that full field game. And even if you don't, again, even if you don't score on them, you've created in them the, 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 the consciousness that they've got to start defending from the moment you get the ball. Um, and, and, and I think again, that, that has a cumulative effect over the course of a game. Um, and, and then the last piece being, you know, what you target your recruiting to, to whatever we, we try to get as many athletic midfielders and, you know, get that speed and athleticism in the middle of the field. And we want to take advantage of that. You know, I mean, we got guys like Ryan Hallenbeck who, you know, I mean, Ryan, Ryan could have easily been on our first or second midfield if, if that's where we had kind of targeted him the last couple of years, but, you know, he, he loves the defensive midfield role and, 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 you know, I think he scored, a goal in our first four or five games last year, you know, um, now teams start doing things so that he's not going to be able to maintain, you know, keep producing at that level without yeah. staying and overstaying his welcome at that end a little bit and not allowing us to get our offensive guys, but he could have done that. And we may do more of that this year, to be honest with you. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can think of a lot of times when, you know, your, your full field game has won you games, even and brought you back in games. You know, sometimes you're yep. struggling, you know, in the playoffs against Hofstra or whatever, and not, or, or sorry, against Albany at Hofstra. Um, you know, where all of a sudden you're 10 man riding and your full field ability gets you back and in, 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 in wins a game for you. Um, it seems like everybody wants to be it, wants to run two way guys, but then they like, they actually never do, or they, or they, they want to, but then they're like, you know what? Damn it. I just, I really would rather have this guy who knows our defense better playing defense, or I'd really much rather have this guy who's a better offensive player playing offense because the efficiencies do matter. And then you kind of look at like the NBA and it's like all the teams that run are great until they get to the playoffs. And then it's the teams that are great in the half court that win. So how, how do you, you know, I know basketball isn't lacrosse either, but I'm just curious about your thoughts on sort of all of the above. Yeah. I mean, I, no doubt you, you have to be able, I've always said that, 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 the teams that are successful in the playoffs are the teams that can play at, at, at every speed, 
because over the course of, of, of four games in the, in the playoffs, you're going to have to play some slow. You're going to have to play some fast or, or have the, the ability to play some fast. There are not many teams that, that couldn't, you know, couldn't play at both speeds. But if, so, so it's fine to be a running team as long as you've got the capability of, of not running because a, a team may play you in a way where you just, they just don't allow that to happen. You know, you got yeah, to I mean, be prepared for that. Right. If, if, if teams don't take bad shots and don't have bad turnovers, you're not going to get a lot of transition on. Them. Yeah. And, and concede clear, you know, concede ride, you know, the idea of having their personnel on the field more important than slowing you down. Yeah. And then, yeah, you're going to, you're going to have to go down there and, and grind out possessions a little bit more. It's interesting too, because, you know, the difficulty that you referenced in scoring in the six on six or how it can be and the idea of grinding out possessions and all that stuff um, has just been a, uh, you know, it's been a kind of a staple over as long as I can remember about coaching. But then when the shot clock came in, all of a sudden you got these 20 to 19 games and 19 to 18 games. And all of a sudden, maybe, maybe efficiencies you know, are higher than we thought. Maybe the scores were kept lower when there was no shot clock because it's pretty easy to defend people that aren't actually trying to score all the time. Um, and I can, I can only imagine it's going to go up, but I'm not sure what your, what your take is on that. Uh, you're not wrong about that, but some part of that is just a simple math question. With, with the shot clock, you have more possessions. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you right. know, we, we were playing games before the shot clock where we were getting six possessions a, a quarter you're not going to score 18 goals when you're getting six possessions a quarter. Right. You know, now you're getting 12 to 15 possessions a quarter. But you're not really thinking that it's, that it's, uh, if you score, you know, 16 or 17 or 18 goals, it seems like enough to win. But I guess my point is, is that it's, it's, you know, I guess my point is, is that scores are going up. You, you're not going to win these, you know, nine, eight games like you used to be able to. And maybe, um, maybe you don't have to run to score, you know, yeah. as much as you thought, as, as much as we would have thought you had to when everybody was holding, holding the ball, you know? So I don't know. And I'm not sure about this because I'm, I'm not studying the analytics, but it's just kind of, it's something that I've been sort of thinking about, um, you know, you know, is the scoring efficiency that much different in transition than it is in six on six. And obviously it is in certain elements of transition, you know, um, if it's like a ride back and it's a three on two, it's going to be a pretty darn good one. Right. If it's a four on three, it should be pretty good, but is a five on four or six on five early in a possession worth a lot more than the possession itself, which is actually a possession the other team isn't getting. So if, if you're scoring at point three, three, and they're scoring at point three, three, you know, giving it up and not scoring is like losing point six, six. And so that's, you know, some of the things that I'm just sort of wondering about as I start thinking about all the stuff, and just interesting food for thought. Yeah. I, I mean, and, and those are the things that you're constantly weighing versus just, you know, the, the, the style and tempo. And, and again, I, I, you can't separate any of this from the mindset that your team has, you know, yeah. and, and, and the mindset you want your team to have. So, so, you know, again, you know, a, a, a defense, you know, that it's, it plays a certain way. You're, you're not going to get a lot of four on threes when you play defense the way we play, because 
the, the backside of our defense is too involved in what we're doing defensively to allow us to be leaking out and, and getting four on three opportunities, right? It's just, yep. it's just simply, if you're trying to figure out how to do that out of, out of our defensive concept, it's gonna be really hard. You're gonna to have to give something up to do it. Yeah. We're not willing to make that concession. So yeah. all of this is trade-offs, you know, that you, that you make and then, and then concessions to personnel um, because that, that changes every year, you know, and, you know, if you don't have the same, you might have a couple guys who are great at it, but if you don't have the depth of personnel, then are you going to have two different ways of playing when, based on which group is in there and, and that, you know, and that's hard to do and, and, you know, at least initially. Yeah. Maybe your team can develop into something more like that. But, but uh, yeah, so I, I don't know. There's just a lot of pieces that go in. There is. No, it's interesting. And, and then to me, one of those things that's really important to a team playing consistently well is, is, is that there is kind of a common vision, you know, and it's, it's not just a matter, it's not just the sum of the pieces, but it's, but it's everybody understanding, having the same vision of what it's supposed to look like when it's successful. Yeah. Well, let's, um, let's switch gears and talk a little bit about defense. So Notre Dame's played great defense for as long as I can remember when you guys with, uh, was it Mike Iorio back in the nineties and beating Duke in the playoffs and through the two thousands when uh, I competed against you into the 2000 teens and, you know, every, you know, with the Apples and the Glazners and the Landises and the guys you got now and, and uh, you know, all the way through di different defensive coordinators, you guys have always had a great defensive concept. My question to you is, how has it stayed the same? How has it evolved over the years? The biggest thing that has stayed the same is that we're not trying to control our guys and trying to control the decisions that they make. We, we give them, you know, a structure. We give them the communication pieces. We give them the, the fundamental execution pieces. We, we drill those things and emphasize those things on a daily basis. The decisions are theirs. And, the, and, 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 you know, so you, you, you develop their, their, their decision-making muscle by, by letting them do it every single day. And, and then they do it based on, you know, the concepts that you've put in place it becomes easy to tweak, but hard to change. Um, and we're not looking to change, you know, we, we are looking to tweak week to week and, 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 and that, and, you know, adapt to certain things, but we're not looking to change a lot because I, you know, to me, it's, it's, it's very sound way of, of doing things and it, and it works. It just, you know, but, but the guys have to work at it. And then it's, it's, it's also recognizing that sometimes you play the guy who's a little bit smarter and a little bit better communicator and a little more fundamentally sound over the guy who's bigger, stronger, faster, more skilled, because it's about fitting the pieces together that are going to play the best as a unit, not about who's going to win their matchup. I remember you once talking about this combination of those decision-making abilities and habits. Can you talk about both of those things and, and, and kind of what you would mean if you were to sort of explain it to some coaches that might be listening. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to this, to the all the time thing, sometime thing, right? The, 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 the decisions that you make are sometimes right, sometimes wrong. Yeah. You, you know, the better you are at the all the time things, the better you are at your positioning, the better you are at maintaining your athleticism, the better you are at communicating, 
the, the more support you have around you and, and, and communicating is not just talking, it's listening, right? So it's, it's, it's understanding what, what people are saying around you to, to tell you what to do. Um, the better you are at all those things, each, each time you become better at any one of those things, your decision-making raises another level, another notch. And, and we think we can get consistently really good at making decisions only if we're consistently sound and disciplined about doing those other things. So again, it's, it's separating those two things and it's recognizing when you're having a problem, are we having a problem because of one of those things? Or are we having a problem because of the decisions we're making? And then we can tweak, we can talk about, all right, here's what our problem is. We're in, everything's right. We're just late making the decision. So make a quicker decision. Even if you're wrong, make a quicker decision, make it, make the decision. So everybody around you can adjust and we can play off of it. Or we're making good decisions, but we're doing it from the wrong spot. We're not getting to where we need to get to, or we're not, we're not facing the way we're not, we're not sideways in that position where we need to be. So, so we're making it easier on the offense and we're, and we're making it harder on the backside of our defense. So there, there are all those things, you know, that are going on and you're, you're constantly in an evaluation, but you, you have to separate what those two things are. So, so the habits, the habits are the ones you're, those are your all the time things. And, and yeah. you stay on that. Turning your head, the way you communicate, getting sideways, the way you approach. How much of those all the time things is there leeway for players to do it a little bit differently because they're a little bit different athletically? I mean, some guys are better, you know, getting in passing lanes and, and you know what I mean? And getting balls and they can, they can almost play uh, in a different way sometimes in a, in a backside position than another guy can who needs to be a little bit more like, no, I need to be, my stick needs to be here. I need to be, you know, there and I need to, you know, so, so there's some room for that, but, but in terms of a guy just, just doing, Hey, I'm really good at this. So I'm going to go do that. No, you can't, it doesn't work. Really interesting. And, and, and as far as the decision-making, one of the things that I've learned from watching you guys play a lot is just, people's ability to read the quality of defense on the ball as a unit to to try to help them make what their next decision is going to be. Is it going to be slide? Is it going to be surround the crease collapse? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. You know, that's something Jerry was really good at um, was was helping guys, you know, evaluate the, the, the real quality of what was going on, you know, do you, you and, and, and therefore just, just giving a little bit more nuance to the decision-making off ball based on, you know, what that, what, what is the, the level of threat really, you know, I mean, do I, do I need to, to go here or do I, you know, can I, can I not, um, you know, and, and, and he, you know, that, again, that gets back to personnel, yep. you know, one guy who's in a spot and he looks like he's in trouble, he's in trouble. Another guy looks like he's in trouble. You know, he's got a little makeup speed. Yeah. If I can just, if I can just hedge over into that space a little bit, he'll catch up. You know, if, if yeah. I, I just got to create just a moment's hesitation from that offensive guy, he'll catch up. Another guy, he ain't catching up. I got to go, you know, yeah. and, and, and again, just evaluating the, the level of, of, of that engagement. Yeah, I mean, I've coached a lot of high school lacrosse, and, and it blows your mind when there's a short stick behind the net and no one's really noticing. <laughs> but that, that's why you just got to focus on those types of things so much um, because, you know, the, that, that threat, that potential is huge. Talk to me a little bit about um about you know Jamie not yeah. to not to interrupt but but the yeah. I think communication is one of those things that just is like you know it's so I it's funny I go to some you just came from watching some high school stuff and 
you know, you, you see these goalies talking, 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 talking. It's like, man, you know, he's taking up all the air and, 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 and he's talking, that's one guy talking about something. He needs to be quiet so everybody else can talk because then you get different data points from, from all these other people, you know what I mean? And, and everybody should be talking. The goalie's got enough to do. He's got to stop the ball. He needs to just tell everybody where the ball is and, and kind of get out of the way from a communication standpoint. It's fine if he wants to correct something, if he sees it or, or do it. But he, if he's talking constantly and directing the defense, your defense can't be very good. Yeah, no so, doubt. And if he's telling people to well, slide. Yeah, yeah. 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 That, that can't be on the goalie. Um, you know, it's just so interesting because communication to me is like, it's part of the fluency of the game. Because, because basically you have to be able to see what's happening and then process it and communicate it. And it happens so quickly. It's insane. If you actually literally break it down. I remember doing a breakdown with Eddie Glazer where he, he explained, we went through a, through a game. It was, it was, it was the, um, it was the national semifinal against, against Denver. And it was a phenomenal lacrosse game. I know it was sad that you guys lost, but it was honestly one of the greatest games I've ever seen. One of the best defenses I've ever seen against a great offense and so much to be able to learn from, from that, but that ability to process that quickly and to communicate, how do you even learn how to do that? Yeah. I mean, you know, that's, again, that's just every day. That's, that's, there's not a time where we're not, that's not a part of what we're doing, you know? Uh, and, and, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. I just, just, it, it's whatever you allow to happen. <laughs> if, if you walk past it, you accept it, mm -hmm. right. Whatever you allow to happen will continue to happen. Yeah. You, but, you, but it's, you can't it's, have a drill where people don't communicate. You can't have a, anything where people don't communicate, you know, and, and then, then it just becomes the nature of what you do. For sure. It's just, um, I feel like it's so hard because you can try to break it down. You can try to work on it, you know, but there's so many things. It's so much a matter of th thinking on your feet and just being able to react and see it and then communicate it all at the same time. It's, you know, you can, it, when you, sometimes when you drill it, it's just not actually realistic to what's actually happening around you. You know, I mean, obviously you got to do something, but it, it is, I was just curious. Yeah. I mean, listen, at the end of the day, you know, you, you, you know, it's, it's the guys, right. And that's why Eddie Glazner is playing. Right. And, and, yeah. and playing very successfully in that league. It's yeah. not because the way he guards people one-on-one -on -one, it's because his communication, his off ball play, his decision-making and he is athletic enough to play on the ball, but there would be other guys that would be much more suitable to, to playing in front of Eddie Glazner. If all those things weren't so important, all those off ball skills and, and soft skills, if you will. Yeah. Um, they, they, because those things, they not only make you better, they make everybody else better. Yeah. You play one-on-one defense, you know, is you playing one-on-one -on -one defense, you doing all those other things, being in the right place, making the right decision, communicating with everybody doing that. That's making everybody better. Yeah. How, how, how do you recruit that? How do you evaluate it? Just by literally listening and watching same way you do offensively, you know, I mean, you're just looking for guys who have, who understand the game. If they understand the game, then, then it's just a matter of teaching them what, what they need to say. And, 
you know what I mean? And how to say it and all that, but, but you have to have guys that see the game. I, you know, that, and again, it's a hard thing to evaluate sometimes, yeah. you know? Um, but to me, the two things that if I had to recruit just on, on two things only, it would be on a guy's motor and, and a guy's uh, ability to see the game and understand the game because everything else you can, you can get better. You can hit the wall a million times and get better. You know, you can, you can shoot the ball a million times and get better. Um, you know, you can just, there's just almost nothing. You can get in the weight room and get bigger and stronger. And, you know, some of those things you can't teach a guy who doesn't see the game to see the game. You can, it's just by the time you're teaching it to him, he's out the door. He's going, he's going to play somewhere else by the time he really figures it out. So finding that guy that does understand that, you know, then uh, like, I mean, you know, Pat Cavanaugh is a great example, right? He's, he's a kid that came in understanding the game, knowing how to play. He'd learned how to play when he was, you know, 50 pounds lighter and six inches shorter than the guy he was playing against. So when all of a sudden he grew a little bit and got stronger and he wasn't that now, he was, a, he was a better player than most of the people around him because he had figured out how to do it when he didn't have any of those physical skills and, and, and was still able to make himself a good, valuable player on his team without that. So, you know, but, but again, yeah, there's, there's some things that are, that are teachable and some that aren't. And, and, and the ones that get the game, Jamie, they're also the ones that process things quickly. And, and, you know, that, you know, when you're recruiting guys and they come in, the one thing that you have no idea about when you, when you bring until he's in your practice every day is how quickly does a guy process information, information that, that that's around him on the field information that you're giving to him. Like you're, you know, some guys after the first week of practice, they're so lost. It takes them a year to come back. You know what I mean? They, they just can't process what's going on. Everything's different. I mean, my, my language is different. My, you know, things I'm being taught are, or I'm being taught to do things differently than I was. And if they can't quickly process that and, and incorporate it into what they're doing, then, then it, it just means a slower learning curve, a slower path to the field. The guy who's really quick about doing that, all of a sudden, he's the guy, he's the, he's the no-name guy in everybody's class who ends up playing as a freshman that yeah. nobody saw coming. Yeah. It's like the quote from Bobby Knight, anticipation is better than quickness. Yeah. Um, all right, switching gears. Let's talk a little offense. Um, I remember, uh, you know, I, I, I competed against Notre Dame a lot back when I was at Denver in my, uh, my days in the GWLL. And, and one of the uh, more fun offenses to, to watch um, was the 2001 Notre Dame offense with the Ulrich brothers and Glatzel and all these I mean, you, you remember the guys better than I do, but I just remember that team moved the ball so well. It, they played great offense. Um, and, um, and last year, you guys played great offense 20 years later. Um, how has your offensive philosophy evolved? Um, and how much, and, and it's similar to the question on the defense, how has it sort of stayed the same? Yeah. Well, I, you know, what we were doing last year is a lot different than what we were doing back in, in, in 2000 with those guys. But it, it, one of the, I guess, common things is just, you know, you, you kind of got to pay attention to guys, uh, what they're doing well and what they're not, and do more of that. And <laughs> you're doing that well, do more of that, right? I mean, Dave Yurick yeah. used to say that all the time. I remember <laughs> coaching with him at camps and a guy would come off the field 
and a guy'd make a great play, score a goal. He'd, he'd say, "Hey, you remember what you did there?" And a guy'd go, "Yeah." He'd say, "Do that again. Do more of that." You know, it's like, that was like great advice, right? So um, there's 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 a piece of that, right? It's just it's just like seeing as your guys are playing, what do they do well? You know, you and I were talking earlier today about about you know some of the pairs stuff and and all that and and. And and marrying that with with guys who aren't as like nifty, they aren't they aren't step off backpedal or backpedal passers. They aren't you know, but yeah, they're more downhill guys. And and can you can you do that out of the same offense, right? And and I know you feel very strongly that that if it's done right, you can do that. I feel like that's really hard for a whole group to grasp together. So maybe better if you have two different things that you're doing, so that you you get both guys, you know, guys get the chance to do both and. And, and your downhill guys get a chance to be downhill and your and your nifty guys and and the guys who understand pumping and and hesitating and 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 doing some of those things get get the chance to do that um, because one doesn't work in one offense and the other doesn't work in the other sometimes you know if, if the spacing and and timing aren't aren't right um, so anyway I, I guess I there's a, there's a lot of ways to skin the cat you know um, and and I think you got you do got to pay attention to your personnel know who you have. I even, we've had years and I, and I really wish probably we'd done more of this over the years. We had years where we had off, you know, two groups that ran completely different stuff. Didn't help with, if, if somebody got hurt on the first midfield, you move a guy up, he didn't know how to run that offense because he wasn't running anything like that with yeah. the second group. You got to have an attack that's adaptable, you know, that, that, that can, you know, do the different things but if you had midfields with with different skill sets you could you could do that it makes you tough to prepare for right because the other team has to come in and prepare for two entirely different things yeah it's kind of like uh what um andy towers and the PLL chaos did there for a while until they uh, jettisoned all their american middies and got all canadian guys yeah and then they went straight to the uh you know pairs looks two man three man looks uh, you know mixed in with his set looks um, you know, the classic little looks that he's been doing for a lot of years, but, um, yeah, there are a lot of ways to skin a cat. Um, so how do you guys, how do you characterize the way, uh, you're, you're trying to, you're trying to play as far as the principles go, the big picture stuff. I mean, you know, the biggest thing is just, I, to me, it's just, again, it's back to fundamentals and, and it's, and it's back to, to letting good players be good players. You know, I mean, it, it, you know, offense, it's about creating space. And, 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 and reading things and not being hard headed, you know, if your guys share the ball and that, that's the thing that the, the most common thing to, to like our, the best teams that we've had offensively is that everybody shared the ball so much, sure. you know, that, that the ball didn't sit anywhere. Um, and, and so, you know, when, when that's the case, you know, um, great players don't have to have the ball in their stick all the time to, to make plays. And, and it becomes that much harder to guard the great player, you know, and, sometimes try to convince some of our guys that like, you've got the best player, the best defensive player on the field on you. He likes when you have the ball. That's the thing he's prepared for most. It's yeah. when you don't have the ball that he's uncomfortable and that you can make him uncomfortable. So that then when you get the ball, now he's, now he's, he's out of sorts a little bit, you know? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I just think emphasizing those fundamentals of, of, of timing, spacing, recognition anticipation of, of of what's going on you know putting yourself in the right spot to make the next play um you know all all, all the fundamentals and again whether that's in a pairs look or whether that's in a right. in an open look or or whatever 
go a lot of different ways. And, you know, it's, it's funny too, cause I, and again, I go back to personnel, like, you know, we ran, as you know, back in the day, we had, we had Ryan Hoff. We, you know, we, we were not going to run an offense that didn't have a, a, a set crease, you know, cause, cause Ryan Hoff was going to score 40, 50 goals if we just kept him in there and, and, and did other things around him. Right. And, you know, then when you don't have a guy like that, yeah, now you're thinking about how you're moving your attack and, you know, without the ball, now you're running some open sets. Are you doing some things where, you know, but, but if you have a guy like that, you don't want him out there doing that other stuff. You want him in the middle. Right. And, you know, you just got to be a, 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 you know, adaptable. And I know, I know you, you've got ideas, you know, that about how that guy can find his plays anyway, but. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think you still want him to score. I, I think we're saying the same thing. He's going to score from catching the ball in the middle. Right. No, I know. I know. And, 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 but, but to me, it's, it's, you know, like, it's funny because you see a guy, you wonder like, where are all those crease feeds that we used to get? And it's like, well, with, that guy's not in there anymore. Who, who does that? <laughs> you know, like they don't, they don't find those same looks because there's not that same guy that, that it's a chicken and egg thing. You know, do you throw it in there because that guy's in there or, you know, is, is that guy in there, you know, getting balls that, were, that are thrown in there all the time? That's, it's, it's one of the, you know, they, they both build on each other, you know? Yeah. We, we have a freshman, um, uh, Rich Adeli, who's, who's going to be a, a big-time crease inside guy, um, is that. And, and he attracts the ball that way yeah. as well. We said, gosh, we haven't been throwing that ball in there like that the last little while. Well, and also, were you throwing the ball in there after a slide was gone, or were you throwing the ball in there because there was inside actions? Because right. I, I think you know the latter is honestly how those guys are getting more of their inside goals than the than the former. Because the former is what everyone's gotten better at, which is I'm going to slide off you, and we're not going to give that up. Right. Not just going to jam into that guy. Um, although some Canadians were guys like. Hoff and this freshman you have, you know, may be able to handle a ball in a little bit of a different way and finish that thing. But still, it's 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 something that you're just not giving up. And I think it, it might be a little bit more of, of, you know, there was a lot more inside actions, a lot more dodging from behind, a lot more dodging against poles behind where you're not sliding that early. And you start getting these these sort of inside actions. The game was a little bit differently played, I think. Um, even back in, you know, when you I remember all of your teams in the early years, you dodged with attackmen all the time. And, and, and while everybody was going to the only, only dodging shorties, that 2001 final four team, you guys had a great attack that could dodge and feed and, you know, make plays. Um, and I always kind of looked at that and said, well, that was that chicken and the egg thing. Uh, do they have, do they, are their players good at that because he lets them do that or are they just good at that? And it was probably both. Yeah. Yeah. I think it is. Mm -hmm. I think it is. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't claim too much credit for it, other than you know, don't you know, if a guy's you know, if a guy's doing the right thing. Let him do it, right? If the other team is doing the wrong thing, don't get in the way. Yeah. <laughs> and back to the sharing the ball thing. I mean, moving being a great ball movement team. I mean, when you think about all those all the processing on the defensive side, a lot lot easier to process if the ball's in one spot. Yeah. For everybody. No question. And and again, I tell you, I I can't emphasize enough that, that like the, the the ball moving to me and you I know you and I share this belief the ball moving is is just makes everything so much easier for the offense so much harder for the defense and and yet you know so many good players don't understand 
the situations to to just not you know you don't need to catch it and dodge for four steps and roll back and then throw the ball just catch it and throw it <laughs> it's just like you know like you got learning to recognize that learning to be better at that um but it starts with to me it, it really starts with having a guy out there who understands that and people learn sure to do that by playing with a guy and they see the value of it time after time after time, all of a sudden they start doing it, you know? So it's, it's a, it's a harder thing to coach than it is to, 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 to emulate because it's happening on the field with somebody else. It is. And there's such a big value to that, but it's, it's, it's something that isn't necessarily valued, you know, coming up the ranks, you know, the ability to just move the ball, the ability to swing a ball hard, you catch a ball and you swing it, you know, like a, a hash to hash or, you know, like rope. That's like a big time play that, that you wouldn't even really like value that you're looking for the guy that could break ankles. Well, you know, you, you, it's funny, Jamie, you think about the, the opposite of that, right? right? The opposite of that is what you see in like a summer showcase event where, where guys aren't sharing the ball because they're afraid it'll never come back. Right. You know what I mean? And, and the opposite of that is that quickly becomes like really bad offense because a bunch of guys all trying to get theirs before the ball leaves, because once it leaves, they think it'll never get back to them, you know, versus a team that says, you know, is, if the ball's swinging, everybody eats, you know, and, 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 you know, we're going to, we're going to, it's going to swing my way too at, at different times. So, um, you know, I do, I just think that's a, that's kind of a, sometimes looking at what, the worst example of that helps teach the, yeah. how, how to do it better. Right. For sure. You talk about creating space. Obviously that's a fundamental. Um, I've been thinking a little bit about a paradigm shift. Not, not that it doesn't mean that I don't believe in that as much as I've been thinking a lot about more about off ball movement, less about creating space and more about working with teammates on and off ball simultaneously and the creating space occurs naturally while that's happening and the spacing matters too because you obviously don't want to be cutting right into dodgers and jamming them up and a lot of the space that i've been thinking about is sort of keeping the middle more open so you can attack the middle so you can dodge to the middle so you can cut into the middle um and it's where i it's it's something that i think is um really interesting and i'm just curious we talked a little bit about this before but the idea of working together with it's a lot easier to for the defense, I think to guard you when you're not actually, when you're just moving off ball rather than working together with somebody where they actually have to, now the defenders have to work together to to, to read that play, to communicate that play, um, rather than just kind of be able to zone things up, knowing that, all right, this guy's going to pop behind the ball. This guy's going to cut the middle. This guy's going to do this. Um, any um, sort of thoughts, just big picture on any of that stuff. Well, I, I think that when you talk about those guys working together off ball, away away from the ball, um, spacing's part of it. Timing's a huge part of it. Mm-hmm. Because if the timing's not right, you have you have two guys together. You have two guys together. It only takes one to guard them, and the other guy's free to be to be free to jam things up and do that. So, so while you know while the offside you know pick and slip and all that stuff that you're talking about is great if the timing's not right it's it's not great it's just bringing guys closer together it's, you know what i mean yeah. and and, and so and about that. it has to be it has to be a function of both of those things not 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 just the the action 
I think though, I, I know what you mean. And what, what, I've talked to Woj a little bit about this too. And he mentioned that exact same concept. And I didn't quite understand. I was trying to understand the scenario, but I think it's when people are picking off ball when they probably should have been slipping or sealing. I think it's a read issue more so than just the pure action. Meaning if they're going to zone it up high, low, and you're going to go down and pick the low guy and come off that pick, there's going to be one guy guarding through there. But if you slip through that gap, I don't know who's going to guard you. Maybe nobody, maybe both guys, maybe one person. And then now the other person has a read to figure out where they want to be. Or if you seal that top person, um, so there's space above that. And now they've got to figure out how they're going to deal with that. Um, timing is really interesting too. I remember um, in the 90s really being into Bobby Knight motion offense videos. And, and he said, listen, in, in our offense, in our motion offense, the ball finds the action. And in more play oriented, the action finds the ball. And I've always, always kind of stuck with me because really what it means is that the person with the ball has to see what's going on and decide when they're going to move that ball and when they're going to swing it. And the more you move it, the more likely somebody might receive the ball when they're open. And the more you try to time it, the less likely they are actually to be open. Any thoughts yeah. on that concept? Uh, that, that's 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 not obviously Bobby Knight won a lot of games, yeah. you know, because he knew exactly what he was talking about on things <laughs> like that. Um, he he's, you know, that that's that's clearly the right idea. Again, it it just is a it's a there's a continuous motion to what he was doing, saying, hey, you're going to miss. Sometimes the ball, the timing is going to be wrong and, the, and yeah. it's, it doesn't matter as long as the ball keeps moving and the, and the, and you keep creating those scenarios, yeah. eventually the ball's going to find the action. And, and, you know, that's, that's exactly the right way to look at it. Yeah. It's interesting stuff. Yeah. Casey, have an awesome holiday. Thank you so much for coming on the show and talking lacrosse with me. Love it, Jamie. Thank you, brother. Great to talk to you. You guys have a great holiday as well. All right, man. Take care.